Hey guys, I'm back again. I decided to do a podcast episode sooner than I originally had planned because I remember doing an episode about a week ago where I talked about cast members taking over the TV shows that they were on and becoming the breakout character and the fallout that followed. So I wanted to finish that up. Now, the last episode, I remember specifically talking about Family Matters, Happy Days, and 227. Well, this time, I want to mention a couple of other shows where that happened as well. And to start off, let's take a look at Good Times. Now, Good Times debuted in September. I'm sorry, not September. (laughs) February. It was a mid-season debut. It this show had a mid-season debut. It debuted in February 1974 on CBS. It was a spinoff of Maud. Although some people say it was not a spinoff of Maud, because if you ever see if you've ever seen Maud, uh, you will remember that Florida her husband's name was Henry, not James. And of course, Maud was based in New York, and Henry was a fireman. And they lived in a house. They didn't live in the projects. But when good times hit the air, they were living in Chicago. And her husband's name was James. And they were living in the projects. So I consider it to be a spinoff because of the fact that Florida was on both shows. Why Norman Lear decided to make those particular changes, who knows? I don't know why he decided to make those particular adjustments but anyway good times debuted in february 1974 and it was right away a pretty successful show of course the show revolved around the evans family florida and james and their three kids thelma michael and jj and their next door neighbor and florida's best friend Wilona. the show of course groundbreaking and it was the first black TV show or African-American TV show on a major network about a nuclear black or African-American family. And it was definitely a TV show that tackled lots of issues, teenage pregnancy, alcoholism, drug abuse, health problems, racism, poverty, welfare, all kinds of stuff. The show started off with, it was supposed to revolve around the Evans family as a whole. After all, it was Esther Rule's show. It was her show. And I know one of the things that she demanded before she agreed to do this show, she wanted to have a uh, husband on the show. Norman Lear wanted her to be a single mother, but she refused. She said she would not do the show without having a husband on the show. She said she had a good father and she wanted a good father to be be depicted on good times, which I completely agree with that because there are a lot of really good black fathers out there and it was really good to see one like James Evans on TV because James Evans is my favorite TV dad of all the TV dads I've ever seen. He's my all-time favorite because the thing about James is that James had a sixth grade education and he, you know, worked 
at car he worked at the car wash he was a janitor he did all kinds of of jobs to support the family but the kids never looked down on him because of his lack of education the kids respected him and loved him and and gave him the honor that he deserved and he was a good strong loving father and husband and you just did not see a character you had not seen a character like James Evans prior to good times he was definitely a character that stood out and i mean after they killed him off at the beginning uh in season 4 i mean there are people to this very day because there are good times clubs groups rather all over facebook i'm in a couple of them myself there are people who do not watch good times past the James Evans years. He was on the show for the first three seasons. And there are people who just do not watch the other remaining three seasons. And I don't do that. I watch the entire, you know, all the seasons, all six seasons. But when James was killed off, which was a huge mistake on the part of Norman Lear, the heart of the show was definitely gone. I mean, there were still funny episodes. There were still issues addressed like child abuse and infidelity and you know lots of other issues that they were still addressing but uh, it just wasn't the same it really was not James was needed on that show but anyway I'll do an episode about good times specifically down the road but as we know as the show continued on and entered its second season in the fall of 1974 the J.J. character, portrayed by Jimmy Walker, of course, began to become more and more popular. The dynamite catchphrase really caught on, and uh, Jimmy Walker was profiled in Newsweek magazine, and he was all over the game show circuit on Match Game, Hollywood Squares. Got to the point he was opening for Gladys Knight and the Pips on the road. He was in Las Vegas. He had his own career outside of the show. And he was extremely popular, very popular character, and he had his own doll, and and you know he was on the cover of, of of Dynamite magazine for those of you who remember Dynamite, Dynamite and Bananas. Uh, he made the cover of of Dynamite, and it it he just really blew up and became the central focus of the show, and that didn't go over very well with Esther Roll. Or John Amos, who portrayed James in Florida, they did not take that very well at all. They protested vehemently, both behind the scenes to Norman Lear, to the writers, and they began to express their, their frustrations in the press. They were very vocal about how J.J. was becoming more and more clownish and there was so much buffoonery in regard to him and just a lot of nonsense, which, I mean... Being older and watching Good Times now, I see where they were coming from. Some of the dialogue that J.J. had was not even funny. It was more silly and unnecessary. I'll look at an episode and I'll say to myself, why were these lines inserted into this particular scene? They didn't need to be there. So, I mean, I like the character of J.J., but I understand where they were coming from especially now that I'm older, they really had him just being too much of a clown. And it just got worse. And that's that's why they, they 
wrote uh, John Amos off of the show. They fired him because he went to the previous going to the press more and more, and he really was slamming Norman Lear in the press and complaining more and more about the J.J. character. And so Norman Lear, who did not like the character of James Evans in the first place, he never thought he was funny, which I completely disagree with that. I mean, I respect Norman Lear tremendously. He really changed the face of television. He made television grow up and mature in many ways, but he really dropped the ball and really missed the boat when it came to the character of James Evans, which is very disappointing even still after all of these years. But uh, James Evans was killed off in the fall of 1976 and the very next year, Esther Roll left the show because she was just tired of the of the whole thing. She was just, just didn't want to be a part of it anymore, so she left. She came back for the last season. By the time she came back, the writing was on the wall. The show was pretty much in its, you know, you could tell it was really in its final season. You could pick up on that pretty easily. Um, you know, they saw good episodes good storylines. She had a lot to do with that because she demanded that there be better storylines and that JJ be toned down. She didn't want all of the JJ humor to be gone, but she did want it toned down. And of course, she also wanted a raise and she wanted the uh, Carl Dixon character completely abolished. That was who she married at the end of season four which is kind of like, I don't get that. It's like, why would you have her marry an atheist? And why would you have her marry so soon after James died and she and James been married for over 20 years? It just didn't make sense. But anyway, the JJ breakout situation caused so much drama behind the scenes. And Jimmy Walker, the thing is, he didn't understand it. He didn't get it. He would say, we're a top rated show. We're in the top 10. We're in the top 25. Why are these people complaining? We're making good money. We're successful. Why are they so upset? He didn't understand the complaints that John and Esther had about his character. He he didn't get it. Plus, he was focused on his own, like I said, career outside the show anyway. He was, like I said, on Dinah Shore. He was on American Bandstand. That was a network star. So he had his own stuff going on anyway. So he really could not get why there were so many complaints as to the JJ character which maybe some of the complaints there might have been some jealousy and resentment there especially on Esther Rule's part because it was her show and he hijacked it and that definitely breeds jealousy so I'm not saying that she didn't have some of that but I am saying that some of the complaints that they had were valid and It just caused a lot of drama behind the scenes, a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting. Uh, John Amos threatening the writers, physically threatening the writers. It was a pretty bad scene. I know that Al Burton, who worked on the show behind the scenes, literally called it World War III, working on good times, particularly by the 1975-76 season. And if you look at those episodes closely, you will see... John Amos really could not if you if, James had his frustrations but if you look at the episodes from season 3 
it seems like that James was more angry than he had ever been. And that was John Amos's anger coming out. He couldn't separate James from John. So what you were really seeing was a lot of anger from John Amos. You weren't really seeing James as much. You were seeing more of John Amos's anger because of the whole JJ situation. He thought that more emphasis should be placed on both Michael and Thelma. But they, of course, were you know, basically cast aside. It was all about JJ and dynamite and, 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 you know, all that. So that, like I said, caused a lot of drama behind the scenes. I think that the cast gets along better now than they did back then because they do a lot of reunions and, and stuff together and they have a pretty good relationship, which is really nice. I wish they'd come to Texas, but we, time will tell if that really happens. But um, another show where this was also a problem was over on Charlie's Angels. That show debuted in September 1976. It was a pilot in March of that year, and the ratings were astronomical. They showed the pilot again a few weeks later because the network thought, well, this has to be a mistake because the ratings were just that high. But the ratings were just as high the second time they showed the pilot, and so they immediately turned it into a series to, to debut that fall. And of course, we all know Charlie's Angels exploded. It changed pop culture forever. Everything from, I mean, all of the merchandise out there, the the dolls, and there were puzzles, there were notebooks, there were purses. I had so much Charlie's Angels stuff. It was unbelievable. And I still collect Charlie's Angels magazines as an adult. I'm 50 years old, and I still collect magazines from Charlie's Angels. I don't have a really huge collection, but I have a really nice one. Because that was my favorite TV show growing up. Of all the TV shows I watched, and I watched a lot of TV, obviously, which is what this podcast is all about. But Charlie's Angels is my favorite. That TV show was, I was obsessed with that show. I, I had all the dolls and I had the Farrah Fawcett doll and I had the trading cards and my mother was just so really cool about buying me all these things and I am very very grateful to her for that you know she bought me the lunchbox and I was the only kid in first grade who had a Charlie's Angels lunchbox and I got lots of attention for that I still have the lunchbox by the way it's over in my closet as a matter of fact as I speak but of course Charlie's Angels was written was created for Kate Jackson, who was on The Rookies. She'd been on The Rookies for four years. There was another Aaron Spelling, Leonard Goldberg show. So she was so good on that show, and she was so popular. She got the most fan mail, so they created Charlie's Angels for her because they knew that she was capable enough to lead in front a weekly series of her own. So, of course, she was cast from the jump, and then Farrah Fawcett Majors was cast, and then Jacqueline Smith was cast last. Well, as we all know, Farrah Fawcett was the breakout angel on that show. It was all about Farrah Fawcett, Farrah Fawcett Majors at the time, because she was still married to Lee Majors. Her hairstyle, her poster, her smile, her everything. She took this country by storm. There was just something about Farrah that 
I really can't put into words. She, I never really saw her as being beautiful. I thought Jacqueline Smith was the one who was beautiful. However, Kate Jackson was my favorite angel. So it's just, it's just interesting how I saw that as a kid. But I thought that Farrah Fawcett was very, very, very pretty. And my first impression of her when I first watched the show was this girl loves to smile. She smiles all the time. But I was caught up into the Farrah craze too, Farrah mania as it was called back then. I remember for my sixth birthday, one of the things I wanted, one of the gifts I wanted was the Farrah Fawcett doll from Hasbro. My mom ordered it for me. Because that was back in the days you would order, you know, from the catalog Sears and JCPenney and Montgomery Ward. And, of course, the Fair Fawcett doll was on back order. So I didn't have it for my actual birthday. It came a few days later. And I, I remember being so thrilled when it finally came. I still have the doll, by the way. But, um, yeah, Farrah just, just overtook the show. If you bring up Charlie's Angels, the TV show now, the first person that people talk about is Farrah Fawcett. That's the first name that comes to mind is Farrah Fawcett. And people don't even realize that she's only on the show for one season. She left the uh, show after the first season. I personally think that she left because of Lee Majors pressuring her because the show did begin to affect their marriage. You know, I mean, when they were first together, Lee Majors was the dominant actor within the marriage. He'd been on the Big Valley. He was the six, the six million dollar man, and Farrah was, of course, in the background. But when Charlie's Angels came along, and then her poster, she was the breakout within the marriage, the breakout star. And he was kind of like Mister Farrah, you know, Mister Farrah Fawcett, and he could handle that very well. His ego did not take that very well. And I do know it began to affect their marriage. I think that she quit the show to save her marriage. She never admitted that. She always said that she quit the show because she couldn't do anything more with the character. She couldn't show true emotion on the show. She didn't care for the work schedule. She she had lots of reasons why she did leave. But I think that maybe those were factors, particularly the work schedule, because it was a very demanding work schedule, six days a week sometimes 16 hours a day and that was very tough you know lots of emphasis on hair and makeup and appearance and all that kind of thing it was a very demanding show to work on for those three those three women so I think that was a factor but I also think that she was trying to save her marriage but she always did want to have a happy marriage like her parents had and I think that she was trying to prioritize her marriage. So she left and, of course, was replaced by Cheryl Ladd, who did a fantastic job as her little sister, Chris Monroe, on the show. But Kate Jackson did have issues. Kate Jackson loved Farrah Fawcett. They were friends until Farrah's passing in 2009. But Kate did have her issues with Farrah taking over and hijacking her show, pretty much. Because it was her, her show from the beginning. She helped to create the show. The name Angels came from Kate Jackson. The whole idea of talking to Charlie on the speaker, Kate Jackson's idea. So she helped create this show. And she was known for having not the best attitude sometimes on the show. I know that 
there was one particular occasion where she had a blow up and she had Farah in tears. You know, that was something that, you know, the girls all denied, but people on the set who worked on the show at the time attested to that actually having happened, which is very believable because Kate Jackson, as much as I loved the character of Sabrina Duncan, not the easiest actress to deal with. Very complicated lady. So I can believe that something like that did happen. But Farah, again, the breakout star. And even after Farah left, I think Kate thought that she would get her show back. But by that time, it was just an ensemble by that point. She, Cheryl Ladd, Jacqueline Smith were all seen as being on the same level. So Kate still was not the star of the show. She was the best actress. That's why she was nominated for an uh, Emmy three times. I mean, even people who dislike the show have to admit that Kate Jackson could act. But she, you know, was, was not the star. It still was not her show. So, of course, long story short, Kate Jackson left the show in 1979. Uh, some reports say that she left on her own. Others say that she was fired because her attitude was just so bad. Uh, you know, because she couldn't do Kramer versus Kramer. She was offered that part, didn't have to even try out for it, but they would not let her do it, the producers. And she grew very bitter, very resentful, and understandably so, because it made Meryl Streep a star. And this woman's career was definitely hampered by the inability to do that movie. So anyway, Shelley Hack replaced Kate Jackson, and then Tanya Roberts replaced Shelley Hack. Farrah Fawcett came back for guest appearances because she was sued when she left the show for breach of contract. So the uh, settlement was that she would have to do six appearances over two years, which she did, which those were fun episodes to watch back then. They're still pretty fun to watch even now, all these years later. But uh, yeah, Charlie's Angels, definitely Farrah Fawcett's show instead of Kate Jackson's. Now, this also happened over on Family Ties. The show debuted in September 1982. The show was about the Keaton family and just what it was like, you know, two super liberal parents, you know, experienced their young adult years in the 60s very hippie-ish and their kids just kind of, well, you know, Alex, their only son in the beginning, complete opposite of them, very conservative while they were, su- while they were super liberal. Their daughters, Mallory and Jennifer, your typical laid back Gen X kids don't really care about what's going on, just care about, you know, what's going on in their own personal lives. Not interested in their parents' experiences back in 1966. But the show over time began to revolve more and more around Michael J. Fox's character of Alex P. Keaton. Michael J. Fox began to be in movies like Back to the Future, Big Lights, or Bright Lights, Big City, and he just really just took off and became a big movie star. And of course, more of the scripts revolved around Alex. Literally, I would say probably over 50% of the episodes were, they revolved around the character of Alex. And it got to the point where Meredith Baxter, Bernie, was threatening to leave the show. Now, when I mentioned 
family ties and Meredith in my last podcast about this particular subject. I accidentally said that she was on the TV show. I said Bridget marries Bernie. It actually was called Bridget loves Bernie. So I made a goof with that. But she was not happy about being pushed into the background. I don't know how the others felt about it, but I know that she was very resentful about having been pushed aside. And Michael J. Fox is at the forefront of the show. And it stayed that way until it ended in 1989. The last episode was about Alex moving to New York. He got a big job and he was leaving home. Elise was having trouble accepting the fact that her first child was leaving home. She was going to have a child leave home for the first time. And she was struggling with that. And, uh, you know, so the show ended, you know, all about Alex. And I liked Alex. I didn't have a crush on him like my sister did. My sister had a big, big crush on Michael J. Fox. I liked him, but I didn't have a crush on him. But yeah, the show definitely did become all about Alex. It was pretty much the Alex P. Keaton show instead of Family Ties, just to be honest. Um, He was a good actor. He won an Emmy for his portrayal of Alex. But uh, yeah, definitely the breakout star. And of course, like I just said, drama did erupt. Now, the last TV show I'm going to focus on in regard to this particular situation is Dallas. Dallas debuted in April 1978 on CBS. The show was originally to revolve around the characters of Bobby and Pam Ewing, portrayed by Patrick Duffy and Victoria Principal. They were the Romeo and Juliet of the show. Their families hated each other, have been fighting for years, and then they up and get married, and he takes her to live with his family at South Fork Ranch. And, of course, enormous drama and all kinds of, of, of just insanity ensued. It was just, just no one liked Pam. She didn't fit in, and, you know, it was, of course, that changed over time. In the beginning, she was just seen as, you know, not good enough to be married to a Ewing. Pam grew up poor. Her father was an alcoholic and she just was not good enough to be married to Bobby Ewing, a rich man's son. Well, you had Bobby's older brother, J.R., played by Larry Hagman. And Larry Hagman's character of J.R. was supposed to be a background character. He was the older brother, always scheming, always, always doing underhanded stuff. He was a lousy husband to his wife, Sue Ellen. He drove her into being an alcoholic. He was always cheating on her, always scheming, blackmailing, doing all kinds of, of, of debauchery. And it got to the point that J.R. and Sue Ellen, their marriage, their toxic marriage, and J.R. is cheating, Sue Ellen's cheating, Sue Ellen's alcoholism, it got to the point where they became the stars of the show. It just happened that way. It literally just kind of transpired. It was, it just was unexpected, but it just happened that way because JR was just unbelievable. I mean, he was doing so many crazy things that it's just like, what in the world is he going to do next? He changed his father's will. He cheated with Sue Ellen's sister, Kristen. He was you know, blackmailing everybody that he could find. He was disrespecting his niece, Lucy. He and Ray ended up falling out because he was sleeping with Ray's girlfriend. There was nothing that JR was was beyond or incapable of doing. And so, I mean, Dallas became all about J.R. Ewing. 
Dallas is still about J.R. Ewing even today. And of course, the characters of Bobby and Pam were pushed into the background. Bobby was the goody-goody younger brother who always did the right thing. And that became kind of boring for Patrick Duffy. I think I did read... Or I don't think I remember specifically reading in an article the Victoria Principal had some resentment at one point that the show began to revolve around J.R. and Sue Ellen instead of Bobby and Pam. She was able to somewhat get past that to a certain extent. How much, I'm not sure, but there was some resentment on her part. Now, I don't think Patrick Duffy really cared too much, although he didn't care for always having to be the goody-goody brother all the time. But yeah, it was all about Jr. Jr. was the star of that show. The whole Who Shot Jr. storyline was total insanity. Everywhere you went, People were talking about who shot JR. It was not only a national obsession, but it was a worldwide obsession. It was in, it was insane. And it was a lot of fun. And when Dallas, because there was an actor strike in 1980, so all of the TV shows were late coming back that year, including Dallas. Dallas didn't come back until November 1980. Instead of coming back in September. We were all gathered around the TV to see who shot JR, and they drug it out for like about three or four episodes. And then we finally found out that it was his beloved sister in law and former mistress, Kristen, portrayed by Mary Crosby. Yes, Mary Crosby, the daughter of Bing Crosby. So, and then of course, Dallas ended in May 1991, 11 years later. And again, it's all about JR. JR was the one that we all tuned in to, to watch and the guy had the most insane crazy funny dialogue. I mean JR could say the most terrible things but the way that Larry Hagman delivered the lines it was hilariously funny. So he was a brilliant actor. He should have definitely won some won an Emmy for that for, for the for the portrayal of JR Ewing. It's a shame that he did not. He wasn't even nominated, I believe. Um, which that was a very severe oversight because he was great in that role. And I haven't seen Dallas in so long. I'd love to see Dallas again. Hopefully someone will pick it up. I know it's on streaming services. I'm not sure. I think it's on Netflix or it was on Netflix. My sister was watching it. And of course, the early seasons are the best, to be honest. That's just, you know, the beginning years of Dallas were the best. And so she got back caught up in again, caught up in it again. And, you know, I need to try and find out how I can watch it again, too, because I would love to see that again. But again, another example of a background character coming in and inadvertently taking over and becoming the lead character of a show. So that is going to wrap up this particular episode. I didn't, again, intend to come back so soon, but I'm kind of glad I did. It was fun to finish up this particular topic and uh, to just kind of reflect on just how TV can really surprise you. It can really end up going going in a direction that you did not expect. So this was a lot of fun to reminisce about and talk about and uh, I'll be back with another episode in a couple of days, and I will see y'all then.